week's episode, we take a look at every developer's favorite subject, network stacks. We make TLS and SSL fun again, and even dive through HTTP headers. And at the very end, we take a look at all that amazing feedback that our listeners have been sending us. All that and more on this week's Merge Conflict. Frank, how was your weekend? Oh, it was wonderful. I sat in my living room and trained a neural network. Ooh, neural networking. Well, guess what I was doing? Not neural networking. I was debugging TLS issues with me. Uh, oh, like servers and networking and really low level stuff. Great. Encryption too. <laughs> a little encryption, a little um, networking, very low level. And here's the problem is it all started with a support email. Now, I love support email because <laughs> when it happens to my app, which not tons of tons of people use, but when I get direct feedback, like, hey, your app doesn't work anymore, um, <laughs> I'm going to go test it really quick. And, and it sends a chill down your spine. It's really fun. You're just like, oh, my God, the world's coming to an end. Yes. And when you read this at 1135 p.m. on a Friday night, <laughs> you know what you're doing this weekend. <laughs> Debugging TLS. <laughs> Debugging TLS. Now, here was the thing is I probably wouldn't have cared too much about this problem or this email, but I had introduced, you know, in-app purchases recently into my application. So now people are paying for things. Right. So okay. You've gotten more serious. Yeah. Yeah. So here was the problem is I really, I really got this great rapport with uh, this, this uh, gentleman who emailed me for support. Uh, and we got through and I figured out that it was Android. I got his device information. I, I got exactly what was going wrong and I could reproduce it. The problem was, is I would sign in. If people don't know what meetup manager is. I created this application a long time ago to uh, allow you to manage as a meetup manager or man meetup organizer. I have all my groups and people that come to my events and I wanted a way of checking them in. That's all it does. And you need to be able to log in so I can get a list of your groups, your events, and then query all the people. So it would take you to the redirect page, which I use Xamarin Auth for. You would log in. And if you've gone through the OAuth flow before, you know that you go to the OAuth page, you sign in, yeah. you get a redirect URL, and that gives you a unique code. And um, at that time, you then make a post back to the web server to get your authentication token. For those who don't know what OAuth is, it's a very, uh, it's kind of janky uh, way to log people in, but it's become kind of the web standard for accessing APIs and things like that. And the idea is usually you just pop up like a little web page login form. People fill it out. It feels just like the web. They hit uh, uh, submit or whatever. But then the app and the server have to do this little chit chat to actually exchange tokens and do things like that. Exactly. So it's a it's a standard flow, but it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. And the the first time you try to map it out, if you don't look at diagrams, it's very complicated. But then once you do it once, the flow makes sense. And you're like, all right, now I know mm -hmm. what I'm doing. So the problem was it would get to that redirect page and then just stop. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, did I break something? Because I haven't updated the app in a month and it did work. And even the guy said... The gentleman said it worked two weeks ago and it stopped working today. And I go, um, what's going on? <laughs> so I freaked out and I was up until 4.30 a.m. Nice. Uh, uh, okay, so this started at around midnight mm -hmm. and you started by saying, does it work for me? But you said you were able to reproduce it pretty quickly, right? So you figured out what the bug is. What was it? So the problem here is that as I started un unraveling 
my application is it got a little bit more complicated than how do I debug this? Because I'm using <laughs> Xamarin Auth, which abstracts all this into a huge, <laughs> amazing library. Yeah. Uh, uh, to be honest here, I, I'm one of the original authors on Xamarin Auth, but I barely kind of remember how it works. Other than we were trying to simplify this whole flow because this login process is kind of, like I said, janky. Yep. But uh, this library tries to take all that away from you. The problem is anytime you abstract something that far away, Way, all of a sudden these weird kind of errors and these silent kind of errors they can crop up unfortunately they can crop up and you can't debug them because you don't have the code yeah. uh, and this happens <laughs> with my with my Grown. plugins too it, it happens with my plugins and what do i tell people pull in the yeah. libraries add them to your yeah. app so i did that yeah. with xamarin auth i made it a little okay. module uh i did contact uh the the, the gentleman who at, at microsoft now who's maintaining it uh, but it was the weekend, you know, it's 4am, you know, no one's up. So I pull it in and, uh, I start debugging it, but breakpoints everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And what I find out is this is at two 30 in the morning. I find out <laughs> is that it's, it's making the post to get the auth token and yeah. the, and the post stops. Just nothing happens. It stops. It well, stops. that's not right. It's supposed to fail or succeed. Nope. But I guess uh, we have some timeouts in there and the timeout must just be waiting for some event to happen and that event's not happening. So I'm mm -hmm. guessing, mm -hmm. so you're connecting to the server, but then kind of chilling out. <laughs> chilling out. So I, I put on my debug developer hat. I'm like, well, what happens if I put this puppy in Postman? People don't know yeah. what Postman is. It's an amazing tool that you can do posts and whatever you need. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I got some tool recommendations too, but uh, we'll see how your story goes. <laughs> and it worked like Postman oh, totally worked and I got the key okay. back immediately. So that means that the, the server side was working. That's what I wanted to validate, right? I'm stepping mm -hmm. through this. So I go to the meetup.com API GitHub and I post an issue. It says, well, here's the funny thing. Works on iOS, doesn't work uh -huh. on Android. And I'm like, oh, what? classic, classic uh, iOS, the champion. It the just champion. works. It just works. <laughs> so I, I pose this, this terribly named with no information. Do I know what happened? It says Android login redirects no longer working for OAuth, for OAuth 2. And uh, the next day, or like later that day, the de developer there got back to me and I said, I closed it because I figured it out, of course, an hour later. I'm just going in, in Xamarin Studio or Visual Studio. I'm just changing stuff. I have no idea. I'm like mind boggling here. I'm just like changing, <laughs> changing properties, doing this stuff. I spent hours and what it randomly down. just throwing uh, stuff at the fan. <laughs> oh, I am just flinging it against the wall. I have seen what sticks. And I'm, 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 I'm talking to uh, the developer on Xamarin Auth. I'm like, I changed the minimum and it, it down to 16 and it doesn't work. But if I change it to, to 23, uh, then it works. And uh, then this is hurting my soul. This is exactly the kind of stuff you like. You don't want to deal with as an app developer. You just want to say, server, talk to me. You don't want to be me. touching all these tiny little parameters that you just pray the defaults are good for. Exactly. So here's what happened is that uh, lo and behold, uh, what I got to have it fixed is that I switched to the brand new TLS 1.2 implementation, which is mm. the transport layer security protocol, mm. uh, also referred to as SSL or the secure sockets layer. And this is the security, the communication uh, layer, internet networking shenanigans. <laughs> but I changed it to the 1.2, which is a newer feature in Mono 4.8, but was introduced a long time ago in Xamarin uh, OS. Yeah. Uh, because Apple required a bunch of stuff. So here's what happened. Frank Krueger. I that get it already. Meetup.com. Mm -hmm. Do you know what they did? 
Well, they upgraded their TLS stack to TLS, what did you say, 1.2, the current one. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, well, that older TLS, that stuff's garbage. I mean, they're going to hack into us if anyone tries to connect with that. So, obviously, whenever you tried to connect with it, it rejected you. But oddly, it didn't reject you. It just put you in this weird uh, pause state. Huh? Put me in a pause state. In fact, yeah. soft props over at Meetup. I don't know what this, this gentleman's or, or <laughs> lady's name is uh, in real life. Uh, with a, I, I, can't, I can't figure out via the, the profile. I think she, I think it's her. <laughs> I think she she wrote back and just said, I'm going to reopen this issue for visibility. They did a blog post and it said, Lar- large scale migration to AWS. They're moving all their stuff to the cloud. And they mm-hmm. said, in the process, we also changed our SSL cert to a newer flavor, which requires SNI support on behalf of clients without telling anybody. Mm. Um, and SNI, now, that sounds complicated. I have no idea, but that must be part <laughs> of the stack. So yeah. I start looking at all of the issues that were open in the last week and they all have to do with this TLS support. They broke yeah. almost Everyone. everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're lucky you're actually paying attention to your app. Most people release apps and then never touch them again. So anytime you're talking this HTTPS, basically, um, you're breaking everyone's app. Wow. Yep. Pretty terrible. So uh, this is at 2.30 a.m. or is this 4 a.m.? Like, how long to take to so figure this, this- out? This is now at 4 a.m. and I kicked off a build in BitRise because I committed the code. I had it working locally and I kicked off a, a sample. Oh, I got okay. it running. Yeah. Um, and the the actual gentleman that emailed me was so happy that he decided <laughs> to purchase the upgrade to 2.99 to unlock the uh, support <laughs> you of the You made a sale. <laughs> made a first sale on Android, by the way, which was very exciting. Oh, wow. That's yeah. kind of depressing. You, a lot on iOS, but not, so many, not so many on, on iOS and on Android. So mm. this was really cool because I started learning about our stack and I thought it'd be a good, interesting topic now that I've told yeah. my full story 10 minutes in. But like, hopefully people are realizing like what it takes to debug through some of this stuff and figure it out. So essentially what happens here is that Android 5.0 supports TLS 1.2 and up. So I had to drop support for older devices, which I don't think I actually oh, did. Oh, you lost four, four. But four is down mm-hmm. to like 20 or 25% now. So four is, losing four is not so bad. And I looked at my app usage and it was under 10%. So oh, based cool. on, uh, sorry, sorry, iPhone 4. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was good. So you, you know what happened is, so I figured this out and the reason it was already fixed on on um, on on Apple on iOS yeah. is because I had already upgraded it to the TLS 1.2 stack when App Transport Security came out in iOS yep. 9. So no problem. Yeah, I remember uh, when that realized. happened. It, it was a big deal uh, because basically mm-hmm. Apple broke everyone's apps, um, their uh, their communications code by implementing this thing called App Transport Security. And with that, basically, anytime you try to connect to a server, it's just going to say, nope. You can't connect to that server. What you have to do is have a whitelist of servers that your app is allowed to talk to. This is all in the name of security. It's all a good thing. But oh my God, it broke every person's app. So we all had to go in, recompile our apps, uh, put in these whitelists if we had them. Otherwise, we had to uh, enable this magic flag that says, I promise Apple, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to connect to any server. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, so that was that was my holiday weekend. And you know, it's funny because I think a lot of iOS developers, like you said, had to do this. And it was a a fun exercise of learning about security 
<laughs> yeah, they they shoved it down our throats. Uh, it was pretty great. And I think right around the same time, though, uh, Mono, Xamarin, uh, that we all use, I think they did the upgrades, too. I think um, M- Miguel Tiacaza, he's always been very security-focused. And I think once TLS 1.2 came out, and especially once Apple gave it a little kick in the butt, I think Mono and Xamarin all got upgraded to support the newest stuff, which was quite nice. Yeah, and I was thinking that, you know, it could have even been in a world now where Google actually updates their web browser stack independently on the app store. And I think Apple again, is probably doing this all the time. We need to be really cognizant of these network calls as newer developers, because I think Apple and Google can just swap things out at any time. Cause mm-hmm. my first, my first thought here was what if Google released a new web, um, uh, web driver or whatever app update and just removed, they said, no, no, we're basically doing our own, um, app transport, you know, security level yeah. now. And I was like, oh, but anyways, <laughs> I got it fixed and I pushed out a new update Saturday morning when I woke up at 10 a.m. after <laughs> validating my BitRise build was good uh, through the app store. And I was so happy. And uh, it was kind of mind boggling because <laughs> this if you unravel what I had to do and, and a lot of developers may have to go through this, it's unraveling. Yeah. What's the first issue? Where does it stop? Is it in your library? Is it someone else's yeah. library? Can I get that code? Um, and then pulling it in. And honestly, pulling in that app code super helped because I knew exactly where it stopped. And I said, this is the problem. Put it into Postman. This totally works. Yeah. All right. What changed? It wasn't so, the app. It wasn't the library. Let's break that down a little. I guess uh, the fundamental problem here is dot net libraries, the stuff we use is mostly shared as binaries, that is compiled code. And for that reason, um, this compiled code is not, we don't normally uh, decompile code or things like that, even though we talk, had a whole episode on that. But generally speaking, you don't have the source code to these libraries. And worse than that, like um, most libraries don't ship with any debug information either. So there's really nothing the compiler can do to help you out. So, but even if you had the debug information, you don't have the source code. So what's the difference? Yep. So it kind of makes you dream of the world where maybe we had taken a slightly different <laughs> path in .NET and instead of releasing binaries, we released source code or had some better uh, way to do that. Because today it's all just kind of, well, you either copy paste the code or you do a git sub module, you do something like that. But it's a kind of tedious process, actually, I think, to pull in other people's code. It, it it really is. And you have to worry like, oh, I got to uninstall this new. You got to make sure I have all the references. Yeah, I got to right. link the correct files. I mean, it is all tedious, its dependencies. You got to kind of manually do those and things like yeah. that. But the benefit is <laughs> you can single step, execute every line, watch every variable and see where the stupid things actually breaking. Yeah. And now a lot of developers might be saying, well, wait a second. Don't you ship PDB files or P? Yeah, P. Yeah, the yeah, you got the it. Debug info, PDB files, and I do with my apps. But mm-hmm. then also, that's that's only going to give you some debug information. Yeah, I think what you need is the symbol, the the source symbols or whatever. Uh, you you have that. That's in that file. But Isn't what's it? lacking is the actual source code itself. So that file says that there's a function here, and it you know here's some here's some details about that function. Here's all its local variables. Here are their names. Those symbols that you're talking about. Hmm. But um it's still just references to the source code. So unless you have the source code, you're not going to see anything special. Got it. Got it. 
.NET's yeah. kind of cool. The compiled version of it already has a lot of that symbol information. So even without the debug information, you'll still get a pretty nice um, error. If you get an error, the biggest problem, as you discovered, are silent errors. Silent errors, yeah. So yeah. in this world, I ran into some TLS SSL issues, and these are actually matched together. You mentioned them a little bit earlier, but with something really unique to the HTTP client, which is HTTP client handlers. Mm-hmm. And I remember using modern HTTP a long time yeah. ago. And the idea here was that I didn't want to use the Xamarin Mono implementation, but I wanted to use the native implementation, such as, um, which I'm going to call it. It's NS networking, whatever they call yeah, it, NS, NS URL, URL based stuff, NS uh, session, uh, what is it yeah. called? <laughs> and, NS, NS URL session, something like that. Exactly, or CF network handler, which I think is the older mm, one. Good Question stuff, mark? yeah. So these are all native iOS libraries. These are Apple libraries. And the nice thing about them is that they integrate well with the native platform. So you can do sharing cookies, uh, that kind of thing, caches, you can share caches. Plus, uh, there are probably just performance benefits to using something that has obviously been optimized for that platform versus what we normally can do is the cross-platform kind of stuff, which works yeah. really well. I mean, you, you you mentioned you used modern HTTP, but I, I never did. I was always fine with the cross-platform one. It, it I was works. always fine. Yeah, the, and the new Xamarin one is even better because it is still cross-platform. It's actually a project setting. It's a code generation and runtime setting in your project file. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this? That's where I figured it out. That's where it's at. Yeah, so this you, was, yeah. yeah, go ahead. You tell, you tell. Yeah, so when you go into your project se- section under Android options or iOS options, you'll see what HTTP client implementation would you, would you like to use? What TLS option would you like to use? And you get to pick and choose. And there's great docs. I'm going to put it in the show notes. But essentially think of it like this on iOS. You have HTTP client handler, which supports TLS 1.0. It's 100% managed code and therefore the most compatible, right? It's just is going through our mono stack, mm-hmm. which means you don't have to worry about anything in ATS in the app transport security, really, because mm, sometimes right? it still applies sometimes. a tiny bit. You'd be surprised. Yeah, sometimes, especially if you're using other libraries. If like it's a, at the kernel level, like the kernel can always step in and do whatever the heck it wants. That's true. That's true. Then there's CF network and URL, URL session, which are wrappers around the specific native APIs, which both support mm-hmm. TLS 1.2. And there's some really good documentation in here. It says that both of those are similar in overall functionality. They're managed wrappers. They use the underlying native code, like you said, result in smaller executable, offer improved performance networking, use an underlying iOS queues and threads, thereby not block the, blocking the main thread, honor the underlying iOS defaults for <laughs> TLS settings. There seems to be a lot of advantages here. I don't know yeah. what the disadvantages are. On Android, the disadvantages are the it's not backwards compatible uh. in some regards of using the native Android stack. Um, so I, I want to take TLS. a step back here, though. Um, I just want to make it clear. The really cool thing here is you actually don't have to change any of your code. No You're code just using anything. one API. So you can write your code once and then on each platform, pick uh, exactly which networking stack you want to yeah. use. Exactly. And I, it's, it's very clever to do it that way. It is. And also, if you want to, if you're only creating an iOS app, you can just pass a new CF network handler and a uh, URL session handler to it for a specific call. So you could use the manage stack for all day long, except for a single call, which would be pretty cool. But yeah. 
probably just want to turn it on for all of it and see how it works. <laughs> That's how I do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I've done a few um, uh, tests. I have a little podcast player called MoCast. And mm-hmm. with that, I tried the few different stacks. And I actually did get a lot of performance bumps um, from using the native networking stack, the NSURL session. So it does do some crazy low-level stuff that does increase performance. So you should definitely take a look at it, even if everything's working fine for you. Just, you know, try the different options, see how the app behaves. You'll have to instrument your app a little bit to really understand. But I think for most apps, you're going to be fine. You don't need it. But if you're doing big downloads or who knows what, it's worth checking. It is worth checking, yeah. And I think I want to get into a little bit more of, you know, make sure you check the handlers. I think they're super important. A lot of people don't think about it. But I think there's more to connectivity, such as how do you even handle connect? I, I went through this whole thing with Meta Manager. I'm implementing this new offline feature. I want to get into this, how I <laughs> restructured my whole app to be online, oh, offline, no. capable. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, it's that time of the show, Frank. Ooh, are you going to tell me about something you love? I am going to tell you about something I love, uh, which is a company that doesn't make me stay up until 4.30 in the morning fixing bugs <laughs> because all their stuff works fantastic. Uh this is a company that I, I use myself. I really love uh, all the components and tools that they build. It's a company called Syncfusion. Uh, Syncfusion, I simply adore. Uh, they really offer the largest set of tools and components for not only just Xamarin, but almost every single platform that you can think of, whether you're doing WinForms, WPF, um, you're doing web, of course, you're doing Xamarin, you're doing non-Xamarin, anything. They have the largest and most amazing tool set on the market. They ensure that all their components... Their bar charts, graphs, you know, Kanban boards, all this amazing stuff that you can use in your apps are super performant and always backwards compatibility. I literally just went into Meetup Manager, which I use Syncfusion in. Funnily enough, I updated all the nougats for Xamarin Form Syncfusion. It was one-to-one. Didn't have to worry about it. I just got the upgrades. It's super great. If you're looking for any of those charts, they have a great personal use community edition of uh, what they call Essential Studio. Uh, for Xamarin specifically, it's Essential Studio for Xamarin. Uh, this is what I use personally. I love it. I've done a webinar in the past with them. You can check it out. Um, if you're looking for anything like that, calendars, charts, graphs, pickers, chooser, all these custom controls, they have them. Don't build them yourself. Syncfusion already did it. They also have this amazing ebook series. It's so good. To help support the show and to learn about Syncfusion, uh, you can go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. That's syncfusion, like S-Y-N-C, fusion.com slash merge conflict. We cannot thank Syncfusion enough for sponsoring Merge Conflict. Yeah, thanks Syncfusion. And I think I mentioned last time how awesome it is that other people are running user controls for you. Like, it's such a time saver. I think if I was running like a serious business, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) It's so much cheaper to pay for components than people to write them. (laughs) Especially, I mean, that's, I think, Syncfusion themselves, you know, it enterprise is a huge market for them. So they are always got to be up to date and backwards and support and make sure all this stuff works. I mean, these are experts that have been doing it for years. I don't want to rewrite it. (laughs) Have Syncfusion do it for me. It's great. Um, Yeah, it's amazing. Um, So for me, yeah. Yeah. You want to keep talking about this networking, huh? I do. I can't give it up because here's what happened is the number one request in my app was offline support for events. So save stuff offline. And previously, my dream, buddy, it's the dream. dream. Everyone wants this. You know, the app should work whether I'm in a tunnel, underwater, in the sky, everywhere. It should just work. Yeah. Yes. And I wasn't in the belief of caching all this stuff around every single event, all this stuff. And before you would, 
you request. I, I did uh, my very first uh, mono presentation I ever did was just about this topic of how do you cache all this data on the phone just so mm. that you can survive going through a tunnel and things like that. Yep. And oh boy, um, there are some simple things you can do to make all of this work. But if you designed your app without that in mind from the beginning, oh, I, I feel a little bit sorry for you. Yeah, it was, um, I, I literally have in, in the startup code of the first page, it says cross-connectivity.current is connected. If not, <laughs> dialogue error, box, error, you're error. offline, <laughs> please connect to the internet. Um, yeah. And that's not a great experience. And I wanted to offer some things better. I want to have this offline mode where some of the functionality was there uh, in this application. And what I do is I enable someone to, to manually save a bunch of data offline into a, a, a separate SQL table and then load that part of the app, app up differently. But mm. I need to start thinking of the different network conditions. What if you go online? What if you go offline? What if you know yeah. the data isn't there? What if they don't have all the data? So it Partial became, connections, the ones that like work and then they stop and oh, then it works again. Oh, it stopped again. Yeah. And I thought maybe you would have a little bit more insight <laughs> into this because I got lucky because yeah. either they're on this page with the data loaded or not, but you have an application, like you said, called MoCast, which is doing podcast downloading and mm -hmm. caching. And like, how did you yeah. even Tons. think how about How did I this? even, period? How did you even? <laughs> Yeah, it's a tricky problem. So I'll say like uh, first, uh, first simplest way that you can make something like this work. Let's say I have an app and it has to talk to a server. So every time um, I want to request something, I, I just do a HTTP URL, just like everything else in the world. And built into HTTP is HTTP caching. And this, these cached files can sit around for a while. So one simple thing you can do to your app is just enable HTTP caching. And that way, um, if I request something from the server, but I already have a copy of it, that one will come down first. Then maybe I can signal that, oh, I'm using a stale copy and attempt to get a fresh one from the server. But it just uh, if you just think about an architecture based simply on HTTP caching, I think you can get a large bang for your buck in app design. Now, that said, uh, that is not how MoCast works. <laughs> MoCast, on the other hand, uh, just has a local database, and anytime it receives information from any server anywhere in the world, it's just updating its local database with as much data as I'm willing to store on a mobile device. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Well, it would make sense if... Now, the HTTP caching... D is yeah. that responsible? Because I know that the web server can have a cache time, right? Like, so a lot mm -hmm. of people, they always want the yep. freshest data, so they make it right. zero, so there is no cache. Is yeah. it is the caching that you do in HTTP client restricted to that? Is that how it works? Yeah, it is. But uh, let me describe a few fun little hacks or things. <laughs> so HTTP caching is definitely geared around making your browser experience good. Mm. And so what will happen from time to time is generally a server will say, uh, here's an identifier to know uh, the quality of, of this uh, resource. So I went to a URL, I got some HTML, and here's a little identifier for it. Uh, it'll also say uh, this page uh, times out or changes in a few minutes or something like that. So don't use a cache for more than a minute and only refresh if this funny little ID changes, this little cache ID. So that system is really tuned around, um, I change something on a form and I hit refresh. You want the form to update, so you don't want to cache that page, things like that. But 
the truth of the matter is uh, the server's just sending you recommendations on how to cache things. You can completely ignore what it's saying and simply everything that it sends you, just cache it, just save it. And you can override these kind of caching policies on uh, the HTTP handlers. So while it is designed mostly to be an online and speed things up kind of mechanism, you can totally use that same mechanism uh, to just serve your own means, and that is store a local version of everything. Now, would you go and like save files, or is this actually storing, like the HTTP header is storing it, or is it your own custom HTTP header that's doing this? I've done it both ways. Um, with, the, with the current HTTP stack, it's pretty easy to add kind of like middleware and override things and stuff like that. So with a modern one, um, you, you can add your own caching policies and just do whatever the heck you want. And I've done both ways. I've uh, stored files on uh, in the file system. That works fine. I've also used SQLite databases and just put the cache stuff in there because uh, it can deal with big binary blobs pretty efficiently and things like that. So, you know, whichever one, you, whichever one works for you, the low-level caching mechanism. It's just a reminder that, you know, the, the server has recommendations. You can totally ignore it. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. And also, you can make it probably so if someone manually refreshes the page, probably actually go get new data from the server. But if you're just navigating here and you navigated back and forth, just return that cache data. Yeah, so pretty much every form that I or any mm -hmm. data that I ever display, I say, uh, go get me the data within my code. It goes to like my networking layer. And if it sees that I'm connected, it'll try to talk to the server. Actually, it doesn't even do that. It just always instantaneously returns the cached copy. Hmm. And then what it'll also say is, hey, and uh, this is the cached copy. Do you want to go get some fresh data? So in the thing displaying uh, the data, there's always like a refresh button or maybe it's an auto refresh or maybe when it's first displayed, it will decide if it wants to actually talk to the server. But the actual mechanism like get me this data, that thing pretty much always succeeds if there's a cached copy. Just a simple way to do make your app offline. Got it. I like that. That's good. That's almost what I'm doing, except for I'm manually making them press the, the yeah. same button. I, I think that's the whole point. Like uh, you can write caches. We all know how to do it. Mm -hmm. you, you get some data, you throw it somewhere. Yep. But uh, it's nice if you think about it at a lower, deep down level, like make mm -hmm. caching intrinsic to the yeah. app. So fundamentally, it's a caching kind of app. And I, I like think that's that. where you get the real wins because then you're not writing all that boilerplate code everywhere. You can just rely on the fact that I have this good cash. I like that. That's pretty, uh, that's, that's a good idea. Oh man. And now that I'm looking at my service, I think I might be able to. So I, I'm a stickler. So this application was interesting because I was a stickler for architecture because yeah. it was, <laughs> it was an MVVM cross application that I moved to Xamarin forms and I moved it like in a weekend because everything was interface based first. Like I have a data, I have a data service, which implements an interface that has a database. And then I have a, right. a meetup uh, service that is the only service that uh, built against an interface that implements all the HTTP calls. So in one file, like is all the HTTP in one file is all the database mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So nice. I could just create a handler in one place that handles all the caching and then boom, yep. good to go. Boom. Genius. And if everything, if, if you do all your code nicely and you're not ever relying on dumb little server things, it should just work like yeah. just magically. 
So that said, that's my preferred method, mm-hmm. but there's definitely other libraries out there. I mean, you can always roll your own. We, we talked about that. But then, um, what, like there's the Azure, Azure <laughs> mobile services library. Is that what it's called these days? And that does something similar automatically for you? Well, that's more for online, offline data synchronization with a server that, that's there. And okay. that's going to do some stuff very similar. Like you're going to download a bunch of data into this thing. I think that some applications, if you're integrating with your own backend, that's fine. But a lot of applications are integrating with third-party stacks or have to at some point. So things like Realm or Azure mm-hmm. or any of those online offline, AWS has some online offline sync. Those are going to handle online offline to your database that you have locally, but it's not necessarily going to handle all those other third-party integrations. Yeah, you yeah. know, I wasn't even thinking about that. Right. So the moment you're talking to a different API, you're you're using their software stack. Yeah, you're stuck with their data objects, that stuff. So you would either have to wrap all their objects, which is, no, it just sounds terrible. You're right. Don't do I'll that. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> do what I said earlier. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of not having any server and integrating with other services because I don't want to. Meetup.com has all that information. I don't want to host all that information. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because when I was talking about it, I was actually thinking about talking to your own server. But yeah, I just thank you for making me realize that it works for everything. Go web. Web technology for the win. Yeah. Did you ever in in Mo- I keep going to Mocast because I think it's the most network in, work network intensive application that you have developed yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I've done a lot of stuff locally, just talking locally on your <clears throat> local box um, when I worked at Seton. But oh, yeah. in your application, what happens if someone downloads a hundred meg file? And they want to pause it, they need to stop, they need to resume. Mm-hmm. Did you have to custom roll your own libraries to handle oh, yeah. that? Like, what if someone goes airplane mode? Like what happened like how did you handle this in your stack did you try to do this caching thing with handlers or was it something else oh boy that that's a piece of code that just keeps growing and growing and growing and getting bigger uh no for like all data oriented things so uh, podcast players are rss oriented rss is just this xml file sitting at a web front end uh sitting on a web server so that part's easy that part i I do a variation of the stuff that I talked about. But for the downloads, yeah, that's a whole different issue because these are big binary blobs and so many things can go wrong during that download. Uh, On iOS, a big one is you can just run out of space (laughs) at any point in time. So you're constantly um, uh, debugging (laughs) and trying to improve that code. So there's a few gotchas. Uh, One trick you can always do when you're downloading a big blob and you want to make sure everything succeeds is you download it to a temporary directory and then only when it succeeds do you copy it to or move it to where it belongs that way you're never getting partial copies in the wrong place but then mocast is weird uh it actually wants you to be able to play partial downloads so it has to keep track of temporary locations moving things after they've been temporarily created it's so much error handling (laughs) just and then on top of it um HTTP has a resuming download functionality built into it. But I don't think it's very well exposed in the .NET APIs. Have you you looked into it at all? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. I really haven't looked into it, though, because I haven't had to build an application that does this. You know what I mean? But I know that it is there. Yeah, so this is a critical little thing. So the idea is if I have a 
one gigabyte file I'm downloading and I've gotten a hundred megs of it, my and then I got disconnected for whatever reason, I don't want to rep- repeat that first hundred megabytes. And HTTP supports this. So you have to go read the HTTP to spec and see what headers you need to send and how the body gets encoded correctly. M- maybe this has been improved in later versions. I should take a second look. But basically, I had to hand roll all that stuff, which kind of stinks. There's got to be a library. One of our listeners, if you know of an amazing .NET library that does this, let us know. Uh, yeah. Send us in, uh, listener feedback or on Twitter or something like that. Let us know because we would love to uh, give a follow-up to this. Cause there's got to be something better. There's got to be something out there for developers. Too. Yeah, it's honestly not too bad. It's just it's complicating something that's already complicated. So even when you download in chunks, you still have to watch out for running out of space. You still have to watch out for, you know, just self-corrupting data. <laughs> Lots of things can go wrong. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm glad I don't do that. That that's my scenario on it is I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> um, cool. Is there anything else you want to I know that you were super excited about networking stacks when I I put on our topic <laughs> sheet sheet I want to talk about networking TLS yeah. and you were like, "Uh." <laughs> well, it's it's actually I've actually been working on um another app that's doing server client communications over raw TCP. It's not even HTTP. Mm. And so I've really been dealing with all the errors that can happen during <laughs> to, uh socket programming talking over uh the networks. And so the groan is kind of intrinsic. I think like for the most part network programming is so easy when it works. It's when it doesn't work that you just want to put your head through the monitor. Yeah. Well, trust me, I'm all about that UDP. So, um, oh wow, that, yeah. that that's that's my life. Actually, when, yeah, when it's fire, fire and forget, right? So, uh, when I was at Seton, we were making a, a custom DVR box built on Android, and I had to do um, I had to do TCP and UDP to all different sorts of stuff because some things you want to get a response back and make sure, you know, that things were communicating directly. Uh, and this was on like, I think I got in when I did an interview not too many years ago, someone asked me like, when would you use TCP versus UDP? And I literally had just done this, which is <laughs> so funny. And that we are creating this application where I would um, emulate a mouse on an Android device and then it would in iOS and it would send UDP packets to the server, but I don't care if they got there. Right. It was like just blast <laughs> fire stuff. Right. Who cares? Yeah. The server, the server would come back to it. So those were fun. It was, that was, that was super fun. Cause I was doing all sorts of multi TCP yeah. shenanigans. It was crazy. It's, so it's fun. a fun design tactic. Cause uh, yeah. when you're doing TCP, you're always thinking about errors. Okay. I sent this message out and I want to get this response. And what happens if this happens and that and that. And with UDP, you take a much different design philosophy. And that is, I'm just going to blast out a bunch of data. If some of it makes it some great, if not, well, whatever, hopefully the next one will. And it really changes how you design the app. And I think in some ways, it actually makes it more reliable, just because handling like so many error conditions is hard. But if you just assume like everything's erroring constantly, then it forces you to just do a better architecture, honestly. Yeah. You do. It, it was interesting. I love it. I, I, we, I, we could talk about TCP, UDP all day. Um, <laughs> networking, <not>. is, <laughs> I, networking is fun, I swear. Um, it's fun. It's fun. We're having, we're having, this is okay. We're having fun with networking. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So we're done with that. Are you done with networking? I'm done with networking. Yeah. Yeah. At least this month. Then we'll so, be back at it, I'm sure. Come come April, we're back again with networking. Uh, we wanted to do a new segment on merge conflict. Yeah, uh, this, I, this yeah. 
I, ever since the beginning, I, I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun if we actually talked about uh, feedback that we've gotten from listeners? So Learn. I thought maybe it's time. Well, actually, you had this thought, but I've thought it from the beginning that maybe we should take a few minutes out of the show and actually address any feedback that everyone sends us. Yeah, we have amazing, amazing listener base. Uh, All of you guys and gals out there are sending us great feedback all the time on Twitter and directly through email. Uh, Yeah, we thought that we would do this. It's so funny because when I told Frank, I'm like, have you ever thought about maybe we should answer some questions off of uh, Twitter and email? And then Frank says... You didn't want to do that. And I said, I thought you didn't want to do that. So we all we look on it. We don't do communicate it. very well. We <laughs> it don't. takes us some time to get a message across. <laughs> so we want to take a few minutes at the end of each podcast to go through some listener um, tweets and, and some email. I have one tweet here, and then we got two emails that I want to go through really quick. So when you ask us questions, you want to follow up. Um, this one's specifically from uh, Thomas Burkhart at Thomas Burkhart B on Twitter. Uh, this was in response to building supercomputers. Uh, And he asks, could you make a short follow-up on how to build the best possible PC for build times, plus which Mac build host config is best? Uh, I get this question all the time. Here's my recommendation for best PC. All the RAM. So much RAM. Just throw all the RAM at it. (laughs) And obviously the SSD. Unfortunately, when you're compiling, you're accessing the file system constantly. So maybe even better, run off of a RAM disk uh, yeah. file system sitting in RAM, then you'll get, I think, the fastest compile times. But aside from that, fast SSD, lots and lots. Uh, you know what? CPU matters too. Uh, especially, uh, we're getting multi-threaded builds finally. So yeah, the more cores you throw at it. So as many cores as you can get, as much RAM as you can get. Hmm. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be really cool if you could offload all that work to the GPU. Uh, we don't really have GPU compilers running on gpus right now one day Sorry, that's the buddy. dream baby yeah i hope you did not just give me a weekend project because um, i'm gonna avoid fast. thinking about this now La um all right so mac build host now this is of course saying that you're not building your own you know your mac or you're just buying a super powerful mac because if i was buying a super powerful mac i'd buy you know really beefy macbook pro i guess with all the ram that i could possibly get wouldn't by Mac Pro, we're not going to go into a John Gruber episode at this point, <laughs> um, but maybe Apple one day will release a super machine. For a Mac build host, it really depends. My, my personal thought here is, um, if do I care? Like, Is it just a build machine where I don't care how long it's taking to compile an LLVM co- compilation? I only do that so often. Then just a Mac Mini, cheap. Um, you can always upgrade those and tear those apart. You can avoid your warranty. But SSD is obviously like I think the same considerations go in um, if if you if you care about the speed for me back yeah. Mac build host I don't care that much eight gigs of RAM and a normal drive probably just Mac Mini just going to sit there yeah for my continuous builds uh, off site I I'm not a big speed demon either I think the whole point is it's asynchronous and it just catches up to you eventually um, I guess if you're trying to get a build out immediately it, it'll matter a lot more to you but for the most part focus on the dev machine let the build server be slow it's not yeah. his job <laughs> um, another question came in via email so you can go to mergeconflict.fm and there's a contact page on there Damiano Cura, who actually works at Microsoft, he's a senior, um, I looked up his website here, he works oh. at SharePoint and .NET development. We promise uh, we won't look into everyone. <laughs> yeah, he asks, he said, I know that you touched on design a little bit, and he's a new Xamarin developer, just even mobile developer in general, he says, I'm interested in building nice user interfaces. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about sketch versus paint code or any other type of application or gallery that could help me build good design? Yeah, I think in this case, you just got to use the app that you're most familiar with, to be thoroughly honest. Uh, design is a tricky enough sport without worrying about your tools. So find the tool that works for you and go with it. I personally love Sketch. I think it's a perfectly adequate tool, but um, a lot of people love the Adobe tools and they'll pay for those and they love those. So I would just stick with whatever you can actually use. <laughs> yeah. I use Sketch for a lot of things because Sketch is a vector-based uh, drawing application. A lot of our designers really like it. I ask specifically for the Sketch file. I don't like mm -hmm. the Adobe things because it costs a lot of money. Sketch is $100, uh, yeah, which is still a lot of money, but it's great, worth it. Oh, so good. And and even Apple's catching on. They're releasing some of their design resources in Sketch format, too. And so it's hmm. not just uh, Photoshop or what are they? Uh, Adobe Illustrator files also. Illustrator, That's yeah. the big one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a little annoying. I, so I just like Sketch for its user interface. But there's another one out there, uh, Paint Code. A lot of people love mm -hmm. this program, Paint Code. I haven't used it. Um, just hasn't been a problem that I've needed fulfilled. But this one's neat. It's a it's correct me if I get it wrong, but it's a drawing app that uh, will export to code so that you can draw something and then um, it'll generate the code. You just call a function that it creates and it renders it for you. Yeah, it'll do like custom control work. So let's say you're doing a little clock with a countdown. You can do the animations mm. of the simple kind of painting type, you know, vector type thing. And it'll export all those things to Android and iOS. That application is awesome. Mike James, uh, my colleague, uh, loves it to death. Yeah. Um, I don't use it just because I'm not really good at design. That's my problem. <laughs> so so the, the cool thing about it is I think that animation part, because your drawing becomes an executable program, it's very easy to parameterize it and to change it over time. So And that's animation, basically. <laughs> and so I think it's super cool that it's easy to animate things with it. Yeah. Um, I don't in design. I don't think we're limited by tools. Honestly, I think the tools are good. <laughs> yeah, the tools are good. I just read the material design guidelines and Apple design guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, there's some really cool new frameworks like uh, Airbnb just came out this thing called Lodi 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 Lodies. Yeah, and we, we <laughs> did a blog. Uh, Martin, one of the Xamarin MVPs, did a blog post because he did a binding of this and for Xamarin iOS and Android and Xamarin forms. And it takes, what's the application you have to use? You have to After use After Effects. After Effects, yeah. which is normally a vid video editing program, which <laughs> kind of confuses the heck out of me. But I guess um, it's become a good animation program, I guess. I guess, yeah. <laughs> this is really not my world. But the cool thing here is um, there's this nice library where you can take these After Effects files and it just plays the animation nice and smoothly. Anyone who's done any iOS programming knows that there's a big uh, gulf between an animation app one where you actually do the design and the drawing and the animation and actually getting that to work on the device apple's old answer to that was you actually did um basically uh gifs like you did multi-frame images and yeah. it just would roll through those which are super inefficient your alternative to that was to write nasty nasty core animation code and uh, okay yeah so they're, they're just trying to fill in that gulf bridge yeah. that gulf and, and it's cool too because the animations export to json which is a super small and, you know, compressed down. So <laughs> it's crazy. So look at that, I guess. Um, you want to do one more? Yeah, I, I like follow-up. This is fun. I think we went a lot longer than we meant to, but I'm having fun. Let's, let's do another. 
do one more. So this one comes from Samuel from uh, Zimbabwe, Africa, which is awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. He asks specifically that he was a Android developer and really into the Android stack, previously Linux, GT, uh, QT, GTK, C++, Mm -hmm. you know, did Android, did everything. He was really curious of cross-platform syncing frameworks. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, I thought it was relevant. He was used to the Android sync adapter, which if you don't know what that is, think of it like iCloud, but for Android and you ha- you can roll your own Java backend and the Android sync adapter will do things really easily with the Android framework. Um, it's wow. kind of complicated to implement, but it's there. Yeah, I don't know anything mm-hmm. about that. Sorry, um, yeah. but it's it's not really cross platform. Then we got out of that. So it's just Android specific or can I use this anywhere? Is it Google or Android specific? So that one's Android specific, which is why he asks what are cross-platform syncing things? He knows <laughs> right. that we've talked about some options. Yeah. So there's so many options, Cowspeech, Realm, Azure, Google Sync Adapter, iOS 10 has something, I think, with iCloud. That's what he says. He goes, what What do I do? Where do I get started? Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, it's tough, yeah, because there are so many options. I would actually just go with uh, one of the third-party vendors, actually, if, if I was looking for... Uh, to do this for realsies and i would just use the one whose api works best for you uh, fits how you already like to architect your apps and whose servers don't seem to go down that often i know there's a real (laughs) issue with these kind of companies getting bought and shut down and so maybe you want to write an abstraction layer on top of it all but um in general it's it's just an app you know in two or five years you might have to rewrite the networking code but whatever yeah I think, uh, so what I do for Meetup Manager is I just shove stuff in a SQL database. I don't have to do sync (laughs) though, but um, if you mean just offline sync, like I pull a server and I shove it in a database, I just do some in-app logic to figure out what I need to sync and not sync at that point. Um, Azure does online offline sync, AWS does online offline sync, Couchbase does online offline sync. I think it's the API if you want table storage, no SQL. Yeah. If you're a Linux, if you're a Linux developer though, I'm gonna tell you uh of a company I just did a webinar with and had them on the Xamarin show. It's called Realm, which is they're one of the most popular um databases on iOS and Android. They have their own. It's their own. It's not SQL, yeah. it's not no SQL, it's their own. It's amazing. They're kind of hardcore. <laughs> It's amazing. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But you got to shift that mindset. I'm a, I'm a table SQL person and it kind of boggles yeah. my mind. But what they have is their platform. It's an open source backend that you deploy on Linux. So you can put on Linode, you can put on Azure, you can put on AWS. So you're in control of it. And it's a Node.js backend. And the API is cross-platform for iOS and Android. So maybe something to look into. Yeah, prototype a few things. That's what I would say. Oh, so that sounds pretty awesome. I actually didn't know those little details about Realm. I've seen their name everywhere, but I haven't actually looked into them. So I'll have to take a peek. It's good. Um, I'm blown away. It does real-time online offline data synchronization. Like you change something on the server, you don't have to write any code. It just updates automatically. Well, so you just solved the whole problem of this episode, didn't you? We should all just be using that. Should be, but it doesn't support every platform, and you got to <laughs> deploy your own Linux server. I don't know. Ah, uh, you're right. You're right. You just don't want that server. I forgot. <laughs> not a big, not a big server fan. How easily uh, I keep forgetting. See, I love those Linux servers. I love watching them get hacked. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah. 
So that's about it. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of wraps up episode 37. Is that what we're on? Episode oh, 37. Oh, you're committing yourself. I hope you got that right. Yeah, <laughs> episode 37. Right. Um, you yeah. go to mergeconflict.fm oh. to subscribe on anything that's out there. This is episode 37. We love your feedback. Our new store is open. You go up to mergeconflict.fm. You can go to shop. You can buy our awesome new stickers. I've seen some stickers already on laptops, tweeted by you amazing listeners. Uh, we can't thank you enough for your support. Buying stickers supports the show. Um, and we can't thank enough our sponsor, Sync Fusion. Uh, until next time, this is Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Thanks.